welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I am your host and joining me today we have the debutante of The House on the Edge, Alex Cotter. Welcome to the show. Hello, Marcus. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be here. It's very, very excited to have you here. Uh, we mean keeping a sort of eye on the sort of the launch of the book as it's been getting closer and closer. Um, it's really good to have you on the show. We love to get to know, especially debut authors, because it's such a new and exciting time for you. But we'd like to get to know you personally a little bit before we dive straight into the book. So do you just want to tell us a little bit about why you want to become an author and a small snippet of your journey up to now? Absolutely. I think like a lot of authors, I decided to become one back when I was about seven or eight. And it came, for me, it came from reading my first book cover to cover which was um, Ina Blyton's Magic Faraway Tree and I remember decisively closing it and thinking that's it I've got to got to write I need to be in the world of stories and so from then on very quietly I continued to write stories mostly plagiarized at that young age and um, they kept going and I think I don't know I moved a lot as a child and you know, I don't know what the state school system was like then, but I remember lots of overcrowded classes. And I don't really, apart from one teacher, I don't recall ever expressing the desire to write nor getting the encouragement. So for many years, the dream of writing was just done very quietly in my own little room and went to university, la 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 la, jobs and kept writing. And I think, I don't know, it's about just before I turned 30, deciding I had to crack on and do it. And so I started just really sacrificing time. You know, evenings, weekends became writing. And then again, quietly, shyly, not knowing how to do it, began to branch out to talking to agents and submitting and going through that. And that whole journey is anyone who knows who does it is a completely roller coaster ride of um, an experience, highs and lows. And I kept doing that. And while I am um, I'm a debut middle grade, I actually did publish two YA books a while back and a different name. Um, but I totally feel I'm having a reset as an author, a refresh. Um, middle grade just feels natural. It feels brilliant. So I'm really excited to be debuting with House on the Edge. Yes, and House on the Edge, uh, I was very lucky to get a sort of advanced copy from Nosy Crow. They were absolutely lovely to send it to me. Um, (laughs) And it is, you mentioned roller coaster. I think that's a pretty good definition of this book because, boy, does it take you from some serious highs to some pretty deep lows. Um, I wonder where the inspiration for the story came from. It came from many places. So I would say I started off with a feeling of um, what loss is, what grief is. And that came from various areas so there's some stories again from moving a lot I don't know again if just because I was often on the periphery I would often meet children on the periphery too at the schools I went to and I just held many stories from children that I became good friends with and there was one who was a child carer and having a really rough time of it um, and he didn't know how to ask for help and as a child you feel really powerless 
And I always look back and think, I wish I could have done more. But as a child, you don't know what to do. So various stories that I held in my heart. And then my own, you know, grief and loss as you grow up, things happen to you. Um, and then while I, the idea was coming together, some good friends of my children, their mum sadly died. And I think there's that whole thing of how do we communicate grief and loss? So it was a feeling at first that I had. I've always been fascinated by cliff edges. So growing up north, we used to go to Whitby a lot, and there were often stories of houses actually falling off cliffs. And I think I, as a child, I put the two together, idea of loss and anxiety and grief, with this idea that you, you could just lose your whole house. And so it began in childhood, this sort of thought of houses and cliffs and grief and loss. And then as an adult, came down south, used to go, well, still do, go to Dorset, Devon and Cornwall a lot. And um, when this story was starting to come together, I did a walk by myself um, from Devon to Dorset. I wanted to really experience the isolation like Faith has to experience physically. And I collected lots of stories and I'd heard about Hall Sands before. There's this village down in Devon um, where a village actually falls off the edge, um, just below a cliff, but just off the edge and disappears, a lost village. And I began to research that more and the, the stories, the people, how it felt, the greed of you know, the government then for wanting to take shingle away, which is why it happened, how they protested and no one listened to them. And that story, again, sort of inspired me. I then continued looking at shipwrecks and the idea of wreckers who used to, on purpose, or so, the, so it goes, allegedly, on purpose, um, shine lights to make ships crash into the rocks and they'd go and go and stool, steal all the booty. Um, and so all these ideas sort of came together and collided like a, like a shipwreck really, they collided, they crashed together. And that's when the story began to really emerge. Yeah, very interesting there, all, all the different pieces. Uh, Loss obviously is very heavily influenced in Faith, who's our sort of main character, um, who's sort of guiding the story. Uh, but also, yeah, the, the idea of that sort of, the, the, the loss of the house, because actually I was, as I was reading this, it felt very much like there was another main character, uh, apart from sort of like Sam, Noah, mum, but actually the lookout, the house itself seems to almost have its own character to it. It's at the center of this core mystery, which we are teased along throughout of uh, uh, the, the sort of the narrative alongside, you know, Faith's, you know, having to deal with everything that's going on at home, her dad's missing and whatnot. Uh, it's, it's very much that the lookout seems to just be this singular place teetering on the abyss. I wonder what came first, whether you, you sort of had faith and faith uh, and the characters sort of came out first or whether the lookout sort of you, you pictured this house precariously lurking on the edge of a cliff, whether that was the first that sort of came to, to being. That's a really good question. I love the idea of characters as houses or houses as characters. And for me, it very much came again from moving a lot. I used to get very attached to houses and homes as a child. And we'd move and I always had a bad time. Each The first year was this hideous, no friends, feeling shy, quiet, isolated. And so my house, I would burrow inside. But I also had this feeling of it being ripped apart again. Any moment now I would be forced to move again and so I used to get very attached and I used to very much characterize my homes and my houses so the windows did become eyes and the inside the ticking ticking of the radiator became the sound trying to speak to me and sometimes depending on my experiences it was quite ominous and sometimes it was lovely and cozy so it wasn't always a good feeling about a house but I think again that has always stayed with me this character of a home and I still do it to this day I still characterize and personify where I live 
Um, so I think probably maybe that did come first. I think the physicality of a house and what makes a home has always been, you know, every writer's got that question, that burning question inside of them. And I think that's one of my key ones. What is it that actually makes a house a home? What is it to have a home? Because I felt so different from my peers growing up. I never seemed to have. And even now I hear my friends going back home. I never had that. And not that, you know, it's not the worst problem, but it always made me think, well, what does make? you know, a home, and it isn't actually those walls, is it? But I needed to sort of take that journey myself to understand it. And so maybe the house did come first, and then faith was my conduit for trying to answer those sort of questions about loss and attachment and grief and anxiety. Yeah, so I think the house, the lookout, plays the hugest part in many ways. In many ways, it is the main character. You're right. <laughs> but you did mention faith there, and she's a brilliant segue into my next question, which... Ah. Faith has, she's dealing with a lot of stuff considering her age, she's young and her mum has kind of really sort of taken the, the loss of dad very hard. She sort of spiralled into this sort of reclusive figure. The home is in dire needs, it's in the cracks are starting to form. She's under tremendous stress. And then once Noah disappears, it's almost like too much. But then she gets Sam. And I wonder, like the introduction of Sam and Faith as a pair, but it's quite interesting how they sort of mix together. They're quite an odd couple, really, if you think about it. I wonder whether uh, Sam was a later addition to the story once you'd sort of maybe had a draft with Faith alone and then the insertion of Sam or whether Sam was just there from day one? I think Sam and Faith were sort of maybe the same um, person split into two in many ways. Both of them were very much inspired by children that I've met um, you know when I was a child and I also I suppose drew from myself and I think within us all we have that sort of pessimist and that optimistness and Faith and Sam very much have that Faith is very she's going through a dark time she's very serious she's very persevering whereas Sam has this sort of eternal optimism that he feels he can make things all right I mean Sam was very much drawn I used to have this this a good friend who was um in foster care at at one school and she when I started there she just took me under her wing she was unbelievable with all the stuff that she had going on the stuff that she had experienced she continued to be this champion of mine I mean she was amazing for me and she was always optimistic she was always caring and nurturing and excited by life and again she's the stage with me that children despite what they go through sometimes can be the ones who are leading who are keeping the others up, keeping them upbeat, finding ways to get around problems. So I think I drew a lot from, from this particular friend into Sam. But I think it was this sort of conversation that you can have as a child, as an adult, where you have got two sides to how you can look at something and how you can conflict internally, but you can also unite to, to face a problem together. And because that's the message at the end of the day, it's like opening up and coming together and accepting help from all kinds of places. It's about not just coping by yourself. Sam was very much part of that duo. So I think the two very much came together. I can't remember who came first. I'm very sure they, they did come together and it could well have been Sam that led. It just happened that Faith came out more as the one that should be the leading character here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic and I'm not going to say anything really more because the mystery in itself really has to have that page turning and experience it. So I do desperately, any any listeners uh, who are thinking about maybe going on to Goodreads and trying to have a bit of a quick read to see if you enjoy it, just don't, <laughs> don't spoil any of it for you. Just go into it completely blank 
uh, just have the back cover blurb and just roll with it and you will oh. not be disappointed. Thank uh, you. It's, it's a brilliant, it was absolutely cracking. It's just that turny, turny, that midnight. It's midnight. Oh, I've got time for one more chapter. It's fine. <laughs> Sleep is for the week. Um, but it's been a smashing debut and I think it's really going to resonate. Like I say, I think it's going to be a brilliant way to champion all those sort of difficult emotions of loss, grief, um, adversity. Uh, and so I think it will find a place on many shelves. So uh, The House on the Edge, out from Nosy Crow, it's a great addition. And I think it'll be a great classroom book as well. But that is what you have out at the moment, Alex. Uh, very interested to now look to the future, you know, that optimism. Uh, what else can we look forward to from you in the near future? Ah, well, I've just um, finished the first draft of my second book with Nosy Crow, but I can say it's based on an eerie lakeside touristy village that's built upon its mystical sinister mermaid, think Loch Ness with scales, and there's Vivian who lives above a mermaid shop that sells beauty and magic of which she is nothing, and it deals with toxic friendships and feminism and protesting and identity and I'm very excited about it oh it's very exciting again it has that very atmospheric style to it just like house on the edge it seems to have that sort of quaint isolation almost uh, sort of bubbling beneath the surface and then obviously all these other emotions slowly simmering away I hope so certainly that's what I love in a book and a film and a story so yes I hope so fantastic uh, that's brilliant and then uh, do you have any more uh, in the pipeline with nosy crow or is it at the moment too early to say anything it's too early i'm working on some ideas for a book three right at the moment um a different kind of setting but i'm really enjoying it again a little bit eerie yeah but i'm really liking it so hopefully fingers crossed there'll be more news soon Fantastic. Well, something for us to definitely look forward to. And looking forward, uh, we have zoomed our way through today's interview, but we're not going to go anywhere until we get to our competition time. Yes, lovely listeners, it's that time of the show when we give one of you guys the chance of winning a book. We've been talking it up all day, The House on the Edge. One of you lucky listeners will have a chance to win it. How will you get to win it? Here is how. You're going to head over to our Twitter, at Big Kids Book Club, all one long lovely word, and there this week's hashtag, you'll be putting in lookout comp. Hashtag lookout comp. That's our tag word. And our quizzy question is, obviously, is a part of uh, the actual sort of house on the edge, is the secret passages and the mystery within them. So had an idea for something fun this week that we could play. And we want to ask you listeners... If you found a secret passage in your home, where would you like it to lead you to? It's something for you to have a think about. Alex, if suddenly you were to pull a book and the bookcase moved and suddenly there's a secret passageway, where would you love for it to lead to? Oh, my goodness. I would love it to lead down, down, down. I would love to go further into the centre of the earth and see what goes on. A bit Hobbit-like, you know? That's where I want to go. <laughs> what about you? I think uh, I would absolutely love it. So I sort of pulled one and then suddenly there was just uh, a portal to, I don't know, another world. I'm, I love a good sort of like yeah. Narnia. Narnia. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Just like, oh, new world. Maybe go through the back of a wardrobe. That's very cliche, but let's work with it. You know, I would love yeah. to have a yeah, fantasy world. But that's just a couple of our ideas. Fantasy world down to the center of the world. You can have anything you want. Secret passage in your home. Where would it lead you to? Make sure you use the hashtag lookoutcomp so we can find your competition entry. 
and you could be in a chance of winning a copy of The House on the Edge. How does that sound, Alex? That sounds really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing where people want to go. Yeah, love it. I think as well, this sort of, you know, with lockdowns and COVID and everything like that, I think that people have been coming up with some amazing questions. I think you've all had plenty of time to think of stuff um, and lots of exciting things to do. But we have run out of exciting things to talk about today because we're at the end of today's interview, Alex. You have been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for joining us. I have loved it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such fun. It's been brilliant, but I don't want you to disappear quite yet because I'd like you to let us know where our lovely listeners can go to find out more about you and your books. Do you have a social media or a website they can go to? I do. I have a website that is alexcotter.co.uk and I have a Twitter handle, Alex F, F for Francis, Alex F Cotter. And I believe I'm also on Instagram. Again, I think it's Alex F Cotter. Fan. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I want to thank you lovely listeners for sticking around and for Alex for turning up. But until next time, all I have to tell for you is to take care, to stay safe, but most importantly, to keep on.